Section twenty four of The Morals, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. The Morals, Volume Two by Plutarch. Translated by several hands. Corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin. Concerning the procreation of the soul, as discoursed in Timaeus, part one. The father to Autobulus and Plutarch wisheth health. Since it is your opinion that it would be requisite for me to collect together what I have discoursed and written dispersedly in several treatises explaining, as we apprehended his sense and meaning, what opinion Plato had concerning the soul, as requiring a particular commentary by itself. Therefore I have compiled this discourse, which asks for your consideration and pardon, not only because the matter itself is by no means easy to be handled, but also because the doctrines herein contained are somewhat contrary to those held by most of the Platonic philosophers. And I will first rehearse the words as they run originally in the text of Timaeus. There being one substance not admitting of division, but continuing still the same, and another liable to be divided among several bodies. Out of both these he produced for a middle mixture a third sort of substance, partaking of the nature of the same, and of the nature of the other, and placed it in the midst between that which was indivisible, and that which was subject to be corporeally divided. Then, taking all three, he blended them into one form, forcibly adapting to the same the nature of the other, not readily condescending to a mixture. Now when he had thus mixed them with the substance, and reduced the three into one, he again divided this whole matter into so many parts as were thought to be necessary, every one of these parts being composed of the same, the other, and the substance. And thus he began his division. By the way, it would be an endless toil to recite the contentions and disputes that have from hence arisen among his interpreters, and to you indeed superfluous, who are not ignorant yourselves of the greatest part. But seeing that Xenocrates won to his opinions several of the most eminent philosophers, while he defined the substance of the soul to be number moved by itself, and that many adhered to Cranto the Solian, who affirmed the soul to consist partly of an essence perceptible to the mind, partly of a nature concerned with sensible things and subject to opinions. I am apt to believe that the perspicuity of these matters clearly delucidated will afford you a fair entrance into the knowledge of the rest. Nor does either of the two conjectures require many words of explanation. For the one side pretends that by the mixture of the divisible and indivisible substance no other thing is meant than the generation or original of number, seeing that the unit is undividable, but multitude is subject to division. However, that out of these is begot number, unity terminating plurality, and putting a period to infinity, which they call the unlimited binary. This binary Zoratus, the scholar of Pythagoras, named the mother, but the unit the father of number, and therefore he believed those numbers were the best which approached nearest in resemblance to the unit. Nevertheless the number cannot be said to be the soul, for it neither has the power to move, neither can it be moved. 
but the same and the other being blended together of which one is the original of motion and mutation the other of rest and stability from these two springs the soul which is no less active or passive itself to stay or to be stayed than to move or to be moved but the followers of Crantor, supposing the proper function of the soul to consist in judging of those things which are discernible to the understanding and those which are liable to sense as also of the differences and similitudes of these things as well in themselves as in reference to one another allege the soul to be composed of all to the end she may have a true knowledge of the whole now the things of which the all is composed are fourfold the intelligible nature always immutable and still the same and the sensitive nature which is passive and subject to alteration and also the nature of the same and the nature of the other in regard the two former in some measure participate also of diversity and identity all these philosophers likewise equally hold that the soul neither derives its beginning from time nor is the product of generation but that it is endued with several faculties and virtues into which plato as it were melting and dissolving its substance for contemplation's sake supposes it in his discourse to have had its original from procreation and mixture the same was his opinion concerning the world for he knew it to be uncreated and without end but not perceiving it so easy to apprehend how the structure was reared or by what order and government supported unless by admitting its beginning and causes thereto concurring he followed that method to instruct himself these things being thus generally by them laid down eudorus will allow to neither side any share of probability and indeed to me they both seem to have wandered from the opinion of plato if we intend to make the most likely rule our guide which is not to advance our own conceits but to come as close as we can to his sense and meaning now as to this same mixture as they call it of the intelligible and sensitive substance no reason appears why it should be more the original of the soul than of any other thing that ye can name for the whole world itself and every one of its parts pretend to no other composition than of a sensitive and an intelligible substance of which the one affords matter and foundation the other form and figure to the whole mass and then again whate'er there is of material substance framed and structured by participation and assimilation of the intelligible nature is not only to be felt but visible to the eye whenas the soul still soars above the reach of all natural apprehension neither did plato ever assert the soul to be number but a perpetually self-moving nature the fountain and principle of motion only he embellished and adorned the substance of it with number proportion and harmony as being a subject capable of receiving the most goodly form which those ornaments could produce so that i cannot believe it to be the same thing to compose the soul according to number and to affirm the soul to be number itself nor can it be said to be harmony because harmoniously composed as he has clearly demonstrated in his treatise of the soul but plain it is that those philosophers understood not the meaning of the same and the other for they tell us how the same contributes rest the other motion toward the generation of the soul 
though plato himself in his treatise entitled the sophist disposes and distinguishes essence the same the other together with motion and rest as being five things altogether differing one from another and void of mutual affinity but these men are generally as the most part of plato's readers timorous and vainly perplexed using all their endeavours by wrestling and tormenting his sense to conceal and hide what he has written as if it were some terrible novelty not fit for public view that the world and the soul neither had their beginning and composition from eternity nor had their essence from a boundless immensity of time of which we have particularly spoken already so that now it shall suffice to say no more than this that these writers confound and smother if they do not rather utterly abolish his eager contest and dispute in behalf of the gods wherein plato confesses himself to have been transported with an ambitious zeal even beyond the strength of his years against the atheists of his time for if the world had no beginning plato's opinion vanishes that the soul much elder than the body is the principle of all motion and alteration or to use his own words their chieftain and first efficient cause whose mansion is in nature's secret retirements but what the soul is what the body and why the soul is said to have been elder than the body shall be made to appear in the progress of this discourse the ignorance of this seems to have been the occasion of much doubt and incredulity in reference to the true opinion first therefore i shall propose my own sentiments concerning these things desiring to gain credit no otherwise than by the most probable strength of arguments explaining and reconciling to the utmost of my ability truth and paradox together after which i shall apply both the explication and demonstration to the words of the text in my opinion then the business lies thus the world saith heraclitus neither did any one of all the gods nor any mortal man create as if he had been afraid that not being able to make out the creation by a deity we should be constrained to acknowledge some man to have been the architect of the universe but certainly far better it is in submission to plato's judgment to avow both in discourse and in our songs of praise that the glory of the structure belongs to god for the frame itself is the most beautiful of all masterpieces and god the most illustrious of all causes but that the substance and materials were not created but always ready at the ordering and disposal of the omnipotent builder to give it form and figure as near as might be approaching to his own resemblance for the creation was not out of nothing but out of matter wanting beauty and perfection like the rude materials of a house a garment or a statue lying first in shapeless confusion for before the creation of the world there was nothing but a confused heap yet was that confused heap neither without a body without motion nor without a soul the corporeal part was without form or consistence and the moving part stupid and headlong and this was the disorder of a soul not guided by reason god neither incorporated that which is incorporeal nor conveyed a soul into that which had none before like a person either musical or poetical who does not make either the voice or the movement but only reduces the voice with harmony and graces the movement with proper measures 
thus god did not make the tangible and resistant solidity of the corporeal substance nor the imaginative or moving faculties of the soul but taking these two principles as they lay ready at hand the one obscure and dark the other turbulent and senseless both imperfect without the bounds of order and decency he disposed digested and embellished the confused mass so that he brought to perfection a most absolute and glorious creature therefore the substance of the body is no other than that all-receiving nature the seat and nurse of all created beings but the substance of the soul in philebus he called an infinite being the privation of number and proportion having neither period nor measure either of diminution or excess or distinction or dissimilitude but as to that order which he alleges in timaeus to be the mixture of nature with the indivisible substance but which being applied to bodies becomes liable to division he would not have it thought to be a bulk made up by units or points nor longitude and breadth which are qualities more constantaneous to bodies than to the soul, but that disorderly unlimited principle, moving both itself and other substances, that which he frequently calls necessity, and which within his treaties of laws he openly styles the disorderly, ill-acting or harm-doing soul. For such was this soul of herself, but at length she came to partake of understanding ratiocination and harmony that she might be the soul of the world now that all-receiving principle of matter enjoyed both magnitude space and distance but beauty form and measure of proportion it had none however all these it obtained to the end that when it came to be thus embellished and adorned it might assume the form of all the various bodies and organs of the earth the sea the heavens the stars and of all those infinite varieties of plants and living creatures now as for those who attribute to this matter and not to the soul that which in timaeus is called necessity in Philebus vast disproportion and unlimited exorbitancy of diminution and excess, they can never maintain it to be the cause of disorder, since Plato always alleges that same matter to be without any form or figures, and altogether destitute of any quality or effectual virtue properly belonging to it, comparing it to such oils as have no scent at all, which the perfumers mix in their tinctures for there is no likelihood that plato would suppose that to be the cause and principle of evil which is altogether void of quality in itself sluggish and never to be roused on to action and yet at the same time brand this immensity with the harsh epithets of base and mischievous and call it necessity repugnant and contumaciously rebellious against god for this same necessity, which renverses heaven, to use his own phrase in his Politicus, and turns it the quite contrary way from decency and symmetry, together with innate concupiscence, and that inbred confusion of ancient nature, hurly-burlied with all manner of disorder, before they were wrought and kneaded into the graceful decorum of the world, whence came they to be conveyed into several varieties of forms and beings, if the subject, which is the first matter, were void of all quality whatsoever, and deprived of all efficient cause. More especially the architect being so good of himself, and intending a frame the nearest approaching to his own perfections, 
for besides these there is no third principle and indeed we should stumble into the perplexed intricacies of the stoics should we advance evil into the world out of nonentity without either any preceding cause or effect of generation in regard that among those principles that have a being it is not probable that either real good or that which is destitute of all manner of quality should afford birth or substance to evil but plato escaped those pitfalls into which they blundered who came after him who, neglecting what he carefully embraced, the third principle and energetic virtue in the middle between God and the first matter, maintained the most absurd of arguments, affirming the nature of evils to have crept in spontaneously and adventitiously. I know not how, nor by what strange accidents. And yet they will not allow an atom of Epicurus so much as a moment's liberty to shift in its station, which, as they say, would infer motion out of nonentity without any impulsive cause, nevertheless themselves presuming all this while to affirm that vice and wickedness, together with a thousand other incongruities and vexations afflicting the body, of which no cause can be ascribed to any of the principles, came into being, as it were, by consequence. Plato, however, does not so, who, despoiling the first matter of all manner of distinction, and separating from God, as far as it is possible, the causes of evil, has thus delivered himself concerning the world, in his Politicus. The world, saith he, received from the illustrious builder all things beautiful and lovely, but whatsoever happens to be noxious and irregular in heaven, it derived from its ancient habit and disposition, and conveys them into the several creatures. And a little farther, in the same treatise, he saith, In process of time, when oblivion had encroached upon the world, the distemper of its ancient confusion more prevailed. And the hazard is, lest being dissolved it should again be sunk and plunged into the immense abyss of its former irregularity. But there can be no dissimilitude in the first matter, as being void of quality and distinction. Of which when Eudemus with several others was altogether ignorant, he seems deridingly to cavil with Plato, and taxes him with asserting the first matter to be the cause, the root, and principle of all evil, which he had at other times so frequently dignified with the tender appellations of mother and nurse. Whereas Plato gives to matter only the titles of mother and nurse, but the cause of evil he makes to be the moving force residing within it, not governed by order and reason, though not without a soul neither, which in his treatise of the laws he calls expressly the soul repugnant and in hostility with that other propitiously and kindly acting. For though the soul be the principle of motion, yet is it the understanding and intelligence which measures that motion by order and harmony and is the cause of both for god could have not brought to rest mere sleepy and sluggish matter but he brought it to rest when it had been troubled and disquieted by a senseless and stupid cause neither did he infuse into nature the principles of alteration and affections but when it was under the pressure of those unruly disorders and alterations, he discharged it of its manifold enormities and irregularities, making use of symmetry, proportion, and number. 
for these are the most proper instruments not by alteration and lawless motion to distract the several beings with passions and distinctions but rather to render them fixed and stable and nearest in their composition to those things that in themselves continue still the same upon the equal poise of diuturnity and this in my judgment is the sense and meaning of plato of which the easy reconciliation of his seeming incongruities and contradiction of himself may serve for the first proof for indeed no men of judgment would have objected to the most bacchanalian sophister more especially to plato the guilt of so much inconvenience and impudent rashness in a discourse by him so elaborately studied as to affirm the same nature in one place never to have been created in another to have been the effects of generation in phaedrus to assert the soul eternal in timaeus to subject it to procreation the words in phaedrus need no repetition as being familiar to nearly every one wherein he proves the soul to be incorruptible in regard it never had a beginning and to have never had a beginning because it moves itself but in timaeus god saith he did not make the soul a junior to the body as now we labour to prove it to have been subsequent to the body for he would never have suffered the more ancient because linked and coupled with the younger to have been governed by it only we guided i know not how by chance and inconsiderate rashness frame odd kind of notions to ourselves but god most certainly composed the soul excelling the body both in seniority of origin and in power to be mistress and governess of her inferior servant and then again he adds how the soul being turned upon herself began the divine beginning of an eternal and prudent life now saith he the body of heaven became visible but the soul being invisible nevertheless participating of ratiocination and harmony by the best of intelligible and eternal beings she was made the best of things created here then he determines god to be the best of sempiternal beings the soul to be the most excellent of temporal existences by which apparent distinction and antithesis he denies that the soul is eternal and that it never had a beginning and now what other or better reconciliation of these seeming contrarieties than his own explanation to those that are willing to apprehend it for he declares to have been without beginning the never procreated soul that moved all things confusedly and in an irregular manner before the creation of the world but as for that which god composed out of this and that other permanent and choicest substance making it both prudent and orderly and adding of his own as if it were for form and beauty's sake intellect to sense and order to motion and which he constituted prince and chieftain of the whole that he acknowledges to have had a beginning and to have proceeded from generation thus he likewise pronounces the body of the world in one respect to be eternal and without beginning in another sense to be the work of creation to which purpose where he says that the visible structure never in repose at first but restless in a confused and tempestuous motion was at length by the hand of god disposed and ranged into majestic order where he says that the four elements fire and water earth and air before the stately pile was by them embellished and adorned caused a prodigious fever and shivering ague in the whole mass of matter that laboured under the combats of their unequal mixtures 
by his urging these things he gives those bodies room in the vast abyss before the fabric of the universe again when he says that the body was younger than the soul and that the world was created as being of a corporeal substance that may be seen and felt which sort of substances must necessarily have a beginning and be created it is evidently demonstrable from thence that he ascribes original creation to the nature of bodies but he is far from being repugnant or contradictory to himself in these sublimest mysteries for he does not contend that the same body was created by god or after the same manner and yet that it was before it had a beginning which would have been to act the part of a juggler but he instructs us what we ought to understand by generations and creation therefore says he at first all these things were void of measure and proportion but when god first began to beautify the whole the fire and water earth and air having perhaps some prints and footsteps of their forms lay in a huddled jumble altogether as probable it is that all things are where god is absent which then he reduced to a comely perfection varied by number and order moreover having told us before that it was a work not of one but of a twofold proportion to bind and fasten the bulky immensity of the whole which was both solid and of a prodigious profundity he then comes to declare how god after he had placed the water and the earth in the midst between the fire and the air incontinently closed up the heavens into a circular form out of these materials saith he being four in number was the body of the world created agreeing in proportion and so amicably corresponding together that being thus embodied and confined within their proper bounds it is impossible that any dissolution should happen from their own contending force unless he that riveted the whole frame should go about again to rend it in pieces most apparently teaching us that god was not the parent and architect of the corporeal substance only all of the bulk and matter but of the beauty and symmetry and similitude that adorned and graced the whole the same we are to believe he thought concerning the soul that there is one which neither was created by god nor is the soul of the world but a certain self-moving and restless efficacy of a giddy and disorderly agitation and impetuosity irrational and subject to opinion while the other is that which god himself having accoutred and adorned it with suitable numbers and proportions has made queen regent of the created world herself the product of creation also End of section twenty four.